Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you are a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting. I'll be finding out what inspires them. We'll also be asking them for their top tips, resources and philosophies that they are passionate about in this wonderful profession. And of course, share some of the funny stories that happen along the way. After experiencing years of incredible conversations on Edu Twitter, I, was, I am excited to create these podcasts and develop the primary conversation further and to get to know more of the wonderful voices in primary education. This week, we are, have the privilege to sit down with Sophie Bartlett, uh, who on Twitter is known as underscore Missy B. Um, Sophie has had a, a career in primary education for about seven or, seven or eight years. Uh, she has worked mainly in Upper Key Stage 2, and has worked as an English lead and as specifically a writing and reading lead as well. So she is very much all about uh, English, but also she loves maths as well. Uh, and these uh, discussions that we have in this episode, I was absolutely here for. Um, those of you that know me know that I'm very much into talking, uh, very much a maths lead and, and very focused on that. And this is the first uh, taste I had in terms of doing this podcast where we're able to, to discuss something maths-based as well. Uh, it isn't all maths-based before you uh, switch over, uh, but there was just one thing we talked about which I really loved uh, talking about. And actually, it was great to talk to someone that clearly uh, just loves uh, their, their job as well and what they do. Uh, and so Sophie didn't disappoint, as none of the um, uh, interviews have done so far. And so uh, I hope you enjoy this as well. So sit back, relax, and uh, listen to the conversation between myself and Sophie Bartlett. Hello and welcome Sophie Bartlett to the Primary Education Voices podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. A bit tired. Uh, we are middle of the week uh, when we're recording this, and so it's a bit, uh, a little bit of a long week. Second week back, I think we're starting to feel uh, the, the, the effort that we're putting into, but uh, I'm glad you yeah. could uh, take some of your time to join us today. Thank you very much for that. You're very welcome. So we're going to begin with our usual quick fire questions. So these are to kind of get a bit of an idea about you, a bit of a background and context about you. If you could try and be as succinct as you possibly can with these, then that'd be fantastic. So the first one is, what is your Twitter handle? Underscore Missy B. Fantastic. So, yep, that's great. So people can uh, make sure they follow you after this to, to get to know some of the thoughts that you share with us today. Uh, how many years have you been in primary education? This is my seventh year. Seventh year, fantastic. And what has been your primary journey so far? So what roles have you had during that time? Um, so I've only ever taught in Upper Key Stage 2. I was writing lead and then reading lead at my previous school because we worked in a team of English and we split up. Um, and then at my current school, I am English lead, the whole of English, um, and joint curriculum lead with a colleague as well. Excellent. It's interesting that I think um, we, we were just having a chat before about our experiences uh, in terms of schools we've been to. And in some mm -hmm. larger schools, there seems to be this trend now of having a writing lead and a reading lead. Uh, yeah, it's, it seems to be really helpful. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, in fact, my last school, we had um, phonics and spelling as a separate lead, then grammar and writing and reading. So there was about four or five of us in a team. Um, 
it was really useful actually because especially because spelling grammar writing all sort of work together but each person had their own specific roles um within that um it was, it was just great to work in a team whereas now I feel I mean I love it but I feel very overwhelmed by it because as you know there's so much to English um so many different aspects of it so and we're preparing for offset pretty soon so looking at how many different things there are to think about is quite overwhelming <laughs> can imagine so yeah having mm-hmm. that team there it would be really helpful i mean as a maths lead myself in my in my previous school we had i had a team of about three or four other people across the school helping with that leadership of maths and we had mm-hmm. Ofsted, uh during that time and it was really good just to have that team team of people who were kind yeah. of split across the uh the age groups that we could really have a handle mm-hmm. on things so definitely takes the pressure off a little bit doesn't it absolutely um what is your favorite subject and why oh my goodness i would say English or maths, I can't pick one, it has to be both. Um, I think English, I just love diving into a good book and exploring that. And I personally love creative writing myself. Um, And maths, particularly, I'm just on the journey really of learning how to really teach well with mastery principles. And since I've started doing training with NCETM, I've just kind of learned, gained a love for teaching it. I used to quite struggle with it, not myself, but just teaching it. in fact, I had a conversation with uh, my friend the other day about, I think, if you find maths really easy yourself, it can sometimes be a barrier to teaching it because you don't necessarily know how to break it down really simply to someone. So I think maybe that's why I've found maths quite difficult to teach before. Um, but now I'm really looking at breaking it down to really small steps and, you know, going as far back as I can. So, yeah, English and maths, I think, I would have to be my two. Sorry, I can't pick one. That's fine. <laughs> we, can, we can handle two. That's fantastic. <laughs> I think, as I mentioned before, I'm a maths lead. And yeah, I think yeah. one of the biggest things is finding out ways we can break things down for our children. And so that, that mm. mastery approach is really important. And we might touch on that later with one of your primary three as well. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. great. Thanks for that. Do you have a favourite teacher and why? Um, well, I'm a bit biased. My mum's a primary school teacher. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do, do you mean real life teacher as opposed to Twitter teacher? Not that they're yeah. not real. But yeah. <laughs> Um, I would say at secondary school, I had two music teachers called Miss Singer, funnily enough, um, (laughs) and Mrs. Dunsmore. And they taught me through GCSE to A-level when I did music there. And they're actually invited to our wedding because I went to school with my fiancé as well. Um, So, yeah, they're definitely, definitely be my favourite teachers. Excellent. Why why would they, why do they stick out for you? Um, I think it was, they put a lot of focus on their relationship with us. So they got to know us as people, not just pupils um and i mean it probably did help that we were a bit older especially towards a level age and we would go and eat lunch with them and that sort of thing but because you knew that they cared about you you were really invested in their lessons and they were invested in your progress and then where you went to uni and then how you're getting on in your career and they still message now so um that relationship has definitely lasted excellent that's great I, i really like to find out this question because Often you look back and you think about these teachers that have had an impact on you and often it, t- it shows you kind of the teacher that you want to become. And so that's interesting. Yeah. That is that that relationship that was key with them. So that's yeah. great. Thank you. Uh, the last quick fire question doing really, really well with these um, <laughs> is this. If you had to or if you already do, you can pick one that you do already. What after school club would you run? Um. Oh, well, I've got two that I kind of do on and off. So I love singing. I don't profess to be a good singer, but um, I love singing. And Young Voices is one of my favourite events. So choir, we do. Um, but I also used to be a competitive gymnast. So I do gymnastics quite often. Well, when we're allowed. So after Easter, we're bringing back our school clubs at our school. So I'll be doing gymnastics then. Oh, that's wonderful. 
I have to say that's one of the things I think that's been missing the most uh, during all of mm, this is absolutely. kind of developing the wider child in those extracurricular opportunities outside of school, like with um, ex- um, inter school competitions or inter school events yeah. and things like that. It's just obviously there's been some that have been online, and I've, I've seen in my previous school that we kind of did it like a across the local authority a music event with some year groups, and you know that was great, mm. but it just wasn't the same. Uh, I think. No, it's not. Yeah. No, it's been a year, hasn't it, since they've done anything together with other children and got that competitiveness out of them. And it's such a shame, really. Yeah. But hopefully, you know, things hopefully looking to move towards normality, we can start to see some more. That's yeah. great. Well, thank you. That's fantastic. So we'll move into kind of the more scheduled questions now. And so the first one that we're going to discuss uh, is this. What inspired you to become involved in primary education? So, well, you would have thought it would have been quite easy for me, really, because my mum has been a primary school teacher her whole life. She only actually retired just before COVID started, which was good timing for her, really. Mm. Um, but she never really sold it as a really good job or warned me off it. She was really neutral her whole career. I don't remember particularly feeling like I should be pressured into being a teacher. But um, I am told stories, as I know parents do to their children, of how I would line my teddies up and, you know, draw a register up and do a register of them or read stories to them or read, I don't know, read to the tree or that, do all sorts of teachery things as a child. Um, And then because when I was at primary school, my mum was teaching at the same school, I would be in her classroom writing on the board to my class. And then through secondary school, it was never really on my mind. I had loads of other things that I wanted to do. Um, And then I started coaching gymnastics to primary age children from about 15, as in I was 15. Um, And when it it just got to the point where I had to apply for university and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And then my mum said, well, why don't you just teach? Because, you know, you've clearly got a knack for it because I've been coaching. And I honestly didn't even feel like I really wanted to do it it just felt like obvious choice so I just sort of fell into it thought oh fine I'll do it and then have ended up absolutely loving it um but I would have thought with mum as a teacher I would have just thought yep that's my career path definitely but it was it was a last minute thing really yeah it just it does sound like it was almost kind of written doesn't it that you've kind of Mm. got that that parent as that influence you you've uh, you are one of these people that you know growing up had that that register on the clipboard you used to do with your with dollies and all those kind of things what for you um because obviously you say that you kind of didn't really think about it as much and then you finally found that you loved it what was the moment do you think that you thought yeah this is right for me this is you know what I meant to do was there a moment like that um I think probably the first time I was in front of a class with no other adult in the room um I've got a PGC student at the moment and I absolutely love mentoring um but I said to her I was out on a course today and I said do you mind having the class on your own I said you'll probably love it because you've got no pressure of other eyes and even though it's not like I'm sat there judging you um it might just be nice to experiment with your own well ideas and just a bit of banter with the children without anyone there to see and um I don't know. I think just having the trust um, of someone else to put you in front of a class with no other adult there and you can create a relationship with them, be your own little bubble. Well, bubble has another meaning now, doesn't it? But, um... <laughs> I'm going to use that bubble. <laughs> yeah. <in> flashbacks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that was just it, really. And it just felt really like, oh, no, one, I'm a proper adult now. This is weird. Um, but two, these children are all looking at me and smiling and learning. And it just felt just such a buzz, really. So probably that. Brilliant interesting like when you start when you were kind of like in front of the class doing that actual job of teaching that was the mm. moment and that's mm. uh, what, what we often fall in love with isn't it is that part of it there's so much things around teaching and education and stuff like that but we forget you know the moment that we probably fell in love with it is when we had those little faces looking at us 
we started yeah. that journey with them and that was that was the moment so that's great mm. thank you um moving on uh, to our next question what is the funniest story uh, that you've experienced from being in primary education this can be obviously with children with staff whatever uh, what's in your mm. role in primary education what's the fun one of the funniest stories that you can share with us <laughs> I don't know if funny is the right adjective. It wasn't funny at the time. Um, and I did think a while about this because I've had little things happen, like, you know, spilling tea over you and falling over in front of the kids. But I do remember a time before I qualified um, and I was covering a teacher. It was before my NQT year. Um, and it was the first time I'd taken a class. I was using her plans. Um, and I can look back on this now and laugh. But it was a science lesson. I remember this really distinctly. It's a year six science lesson. And they were, I think, they're supposed to be researching infection or disease or transmission which again considering the climate is quite funny um and they all had the laptops out and as you do you think you go around a class and in your head you think you've been around every single child and you've looked at what everyone's doing and you're on top of it and I was really young I think I was the only 20 21 at the time I was thinking yes this is my first lesson it's great um and they were writing notes on whatever they were researching so I collected all the notes in at the end and um, I was looking through them and I saw that the there was two boys that were sat next to each other and um all their notes were written about how STDs get passed between prostitutes particularly through oral sex and um <laughs> I my heart absolutely dropped because I thought oh no what am I going to do so I went straight to the head teacher who luckily was really lovely and supportive and he said luckily this person's mum is a teacher so I'm sure she'll understand and this person's parents are super supportive as well but I but he made me it was good practice he made me ring them and explain what had happened and oh I was very apologetic but I was absolutely petrified but now it's just one of those funny things you think oh dear you just <laughs> oh, glad that no. happened since I did learn from that <laughs> yeah oh that that's very wise from that head teacher I love I love mm -hmm. that because that you know you, you don't want as a, especially as a trainee to you know in a situation like that where it's completely not your fault uh, mm. to kind of be told off but the fact that you had to call them I would oh I hate calling people at the best of time oh, <laughs> I know I know how do, how I think do... especially as being 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 so young as well at the time and parents just seemed much more adult than you mm. so having to ring them and say that you'd expose their children to this without meaning to even when you'd convince yourself you'd looked over every child's shoulder mm. um it was yeah it was very scary but it was very good of my head to make me do it because it was it was important I think that I did that yeah yeah absolutely and I think it, it held holds you in good stead to kind of think Obviously, you know, you were young and it, it, you are a trainee teacher. And so you're learning your craft and you're learning those things that you think, right, maybe you should give them a list of websites or maybe you should have done this <laughs> instead. But at the time, yeah. you just don't think of that, do you? You just think, oh, we're going to research this and we're going to go ahead with it. Um, yeah. It's it's funny how, uh, how uh, you know, with especially using technology, uh, we, we have to... Mm think about those things but no that's great that's uh certainly now i'm sure looking back eight or so years back uh why we can think that's a bit funny <laughs> yeah hopefully a distant memory <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i <laughs> don't want that going back to us <laughs> Uh, okay, fantastic. Thank you very much. So we're going to move on uh, to your primary three now. So as you know, uh, this is three things that you've picked out, and I'm very open with these primary these primary three things. They are okay. the primary things about primary education that you think are really important that you're passionate about. They can be resources, pieces of advice, philosophies, approaches, whatever uh, that you've chosen. And so you sent me yours through. And so the first one you're going to talk to us about is the writing revolution. So do you want to just explain for us what that is? Go ahead. 
Yeah, so um, it's it was a book actually published in America, and it's based on the Hockman strategy. And I can't remember the person's first name now, which is really going to annoy me. Um, but it's a strategy of teaching writing, and um, the book is based around. It's I think it's mainly aimed at older children, but the first half particularly is really useful for primary age children. Um, and every activity they teach is given a level one or level two option and level one is aimed towards primary school um, and it just advocates for the explicit teaching of writing really so uh, sentence practice up to paragraphs up to then longer pieces of writing um, and I, it started really for me when well loads of people were recommending it a few years ago so I just jumped on the bandwagon um, and ended up reading the entire thing and my current copy is so thumbed through full of highlighting and post-it notes um, but I've written a couple of blogs on it and I've done a lot of kind of work with the children based on it. And um, it's sort of um, the need for it came from, which I'm sure you found as well, children writing in a really chatty way, just like they speak and not really understanding what makes a sentence a sentence. And then if you've got children in key stage two, particularly year six, not knowing what a sentence is, yet you're making them write over a page of writing, what's the point? You need to kind of track right back. Um, so yeah, it, it starts right from the basics of identifying fragments and how we can make them into sentences and what makes a sentence and then sentence expansion and then building up to paragraphs. And yeah, that's sort of the main theory behind it. Mm, excellent. It sounds great that because I, I completely agree with you. Having taught in year six for quite a while, you know, even when we get to year six, there are still a huge range of children that just haven't quite grasped how mm. to craft a really good sentence and that yeah. building up into that paragraph. Uh, so mm. I think this sounds like it'd be a really good resource. What uh, what type of, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? What type of sources or um, hooks or kind of, what, what does writing, is it just kind of a program to help build sentence structures and paragraphs or is there kind of stimuli behind that and it, that it gives you to give you ideas? Do you want to just explain a bit more about you know, how it help, can help any, a teacher that just picks the book up? What would they find as, as they're looking in that resource? Yeah. So the first, the first chapter particularly is about sentence construction. So it gives you activities that you, once you've built them up, and as a school, we've got kind of progression guide of how you build it up right from year one. Um, but I now rotate through the activities as part of English starters. So um, we've only been using it in the current school I'm, um, I'm in, in for about a year, but hoping over the next few years, as the children use it from year one upwards, then I can change what activities I'm doing to make them more complex. Because currently I'm teaching things that year one, two and three will be doing. Mm. Um, but it doesn't necessarily give you stimuli as such. It gives you activities and then you put them into your own context. So um, as an example, one of them is unscrambling sentences. So a sentence all mixed up and you ask the children to put it in the right order. And there's never only one order. The children usually come up with a few different ways of which is, creates another great discussion in itself. And I will always base it either on the text we're reading in English or on something we're learning in history or science. So it's embedded in context for them. Um, so it really helps with their um, cognitive load because they don't have to think about what the concept, um, what the content of the sentence is. They just have to think how it will grammatically work. Yeah. Um, so with the sentence activities, it, I think it recommends it's about five or six and it just tells you how exactly you would do them and then you can just change it to fit whatever you want it to be about at the time. Right, okay, great. Yeah, so it's it's not so much a resource to kind of use as planning, it's a resource to kind of implement and enhance, you know, the, the activities and the sentence building work within what you are doing already at schools. Um, yeah, 
So that's excellent. So yeah, I, I love that idea of the uh, the sentence scram unscrambling because again, similar obviously to my maths lead head on, when you are trying to plan for activities, you want to try and remove all that extra cognitive load around mm. what you're teaching. So rather than having um, rather than having straight away a question on volume, let's say, which includes converting units, you wouldn't start there. That's probably towards the end of that child becoming more experienced in that concept of finding of calculating volume. You would yeah. start very simple, very structured, small steps along the way. It sounds like this is kind yeah. of a similar thing for writing. Would you say that? Absolutely. And it's interesting you say that because I think the way that I'm doing NCETM training at the moment, as I said to you before, and it's making me really think about how the way we're approaching maths, are we approaching English in a similar way, which will come on to when we talk about my next two primary things. Yeah. They're all quite linked, actually, now I think about it. Um, but I think sometimes the way we approach pedagogically one lesson, we might not do so in another lesson. And the way we do with maths, break it down to really small steps and start from the beginning, we don't necessarily always do in English. And so this is something that could be put in place to fix that, because the very first thing we start with is writing a sentence right from year one. How What is a sentence and write one for me? <laughs> um, so a lot of the children having to take right back to that. And this is a great strategy for that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm finding this more with my English now because I'm less confident, I would say, in terms of planning and teaching a cycle of English than I am with maths, just because of the training I've had, just because of kind of the, the passions I've got personally. And I think yeah. I, I am a lot less confident in having a lesson where we just literally take a few sentences and say, right, here are these sentences in this first person narrative we're going to write about the, based on this stimuli. We're going to start using these punctuation marks let's mm. literally focus on these four sentences this lesson and mm. build it up from there and see how that yeah. works like i might be tempted to just do an activity where they can fill in the blanks they can stick in some semicolons and colons in there right we're good we can use mm. it now let's go straight into drafting it yeah um and i think it's that's, hard isn't it because yeah. i think the focus with the older children particularly is that it's all on quantity and they must be writing at least a page because they're in year six so they must write a page um whereas it's sort of against our instincts i think to really shrink that down and just focus on even if they just write a few sentences that lesson if they're really carefully crafted and thought through that's better than a page of waffle yeah. so um it's just retraining the way we're thinking about it i guess yeah no, that's really really good um and so you say it's a book that people can get you know amazon or places like that yeah yeah anyway i think i think it's about i think it's probably about 20 pounds um but i got mine off amazon um and then i think that the first half is definitely more primary focus this you could probably get away with not reading the second half <laughs> <laughs> that's great no that's fantastic and, and you've written a couple of blogs and so we'll definitely um kind of signpost people to those as well and do you share some of those ideas from the book on those blogs as well yeah, so I've shared resources on Twitter, kind of talking through the activities and how you could use them. Um, and same on the blog, they kind of link together. And there's a few there's a few other people that I recommend in, the, in my blog as well that have written even better blogs than mine, I think. So, yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's fantastic. Well, hope, hopefully many people can go look at that. I think that's going to be one of my little things to do over the weekend is just have a look at those and just see, is there one thing I can take, improve my practice mm. with? And very similar to how we say with the children, rather than me looking at this whole book or all the blog posts that you've written and all these other people have written, I'm probably going to look and say, right, building blocks, let's take this back. Here's one thing I can try. Let's go use it, implement it, yeah. integrate it into my practice, and I'll come back yeah. to the rest. So that's great. That's fantastic. I'm really um, bad at that because I've being on Twitter, I see loads of things I want to try and think I'm going to put them all in place at once. I think, yeah. no, I've got to pick one thing, but it's really hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think we get, I, I, uh, I read a book um, from uh, Craig Barton, How I Wish I Taught Maths. And I mm. read it at the start of lockdown, 
partly I had it for about a year, never got into it because I just yeah. didn't have the time to sit and really digest something like that. But then at the start of lockdown, we had a bit more time to kind of look at professional developments and things like that. Read that book in about two weeks and I was, my mind was buzzing and racing with all the things yeah. I had to try out. But then of course you have to take that step back and go, right, well, where am I now? What do I need mm. to do next to kind of build towards mm. that? So that was fantastic. Mm. Thanks. So that's a great, uh, a great uh, choice for primary three. Your next one is um, whole class reading as a strategy to use in the classroom. So whole class guided reading, I think you're referring to here. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit for, for, for any that haven't heard of whole class guided reading, what kind of the premise is behind that? And then also why you think uh, and are passionate why this is a really important uh, approach to use in, in, in the teaching of reading and primary education. Yeah. Um, so when I was an NQT uh, in the school I started at, it was very, it was typical to do a carousel guided reading lesson, which I think was much more common uh, about six, seven years ago when I did it, um, in which you typically have five different groups grouped by ability with a different text for each group and they'd cycle around activities. So you'd read with each group typically once a week and then the others would be doing, I don't know, handwriting or comprehension questions or design a front cover or something. Um, and I think I... I sort of instinctively felt then that the fact that I was only with each child once a week for 20 minutes wasn't really doing anything for their reading and there was no enjoyment because I mean obviously it's a lot to do with the text you choose and if people do this really well then it's probably because they're really enthusiastic about it and have brilliant text but the way I was taught to do it and the way I tried to make it work wasn't the texts were dull the children could only discuss with children who were their ability you know their ability level at reading um, and then there were activities that weren't even anything to do with reading, like spelling, just to keep them busy. And I just thought, this just doesn't feel right. Um, and then I think it must have been going through a wave of popularity on Twitter because I asked my head teacher or my head of teaching and learning at the time if I could try it. And I did try it in my class. And I just fell in love with teaching reading because for once you could have all the children reading a book and discussing it all together. So your kind of lowest ability child would be reading the same book as your highest ability child. And then you suddenly saw how much more able they were than you thought. Um, I mean, recently I've had, as I'm sure all teachers have, um, a few quite severely dyslexic children in my class. So they're obviously, they're doing reading interventions, they have one-to-one -one reading and their decoding ability is a lot lower than the rest of the class. But when I read a story to them or when they're exposed to a high quality text in other ways, their comprehension level is just as good and sometimes even better than a child who's at the same decoding ability as the other children their age. Um, so I just thought it would be so unfair to put a ceiling on these children just because they can't decode the words as easily, um, which sort of comes back to what we were saying about um, breaking maths down to small steps and having this an input to all the class, keeping all the class together we wouldn't teach maths like that anymore. We know that having circle group and triangle group in maths and having five different worksheets is frowned upon. So why would we do the same in reading? I am speaking from a key stage two point of view. I know people who love it for key stage one, but I personally don't have experience in key stage one. So I'm sure there are different ways of doing it in key stage one, but I'm talking from key stage two. I've seen it work brilliantly and I would, yeah, definite advocate for it. Absolutely. I think I can remember when whole class guided reading was first put to us as a staff, as a teaching staff body uh, in my last school. And I remember sitting there. Now, I am a very kind of structured, organized person. I think that's why I like maths, because it's just yeah. kind of clear, it's structured, it's there, job done, yeah. move on. It, um, and so 
I remember that I had obviously set a carousel up in my classroom, as you say, you know, kind of six or so years ago. That was generally what the practice was. You have your five texts. I remember frantically reading five different texts to try to come up with questions or try yeah. or try and know what was going on in the book. I would often sit there with that third group on the Wednesday and say, right. And then I realized I've not read this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. So we're we're yeah. going to read this now. And we're going to use mm. these questions that come with the book. Yeah. I'm going to read it. And then I'm just going to find out what happens as you read. Let's go. Yeah. Um, and so I remember those uh, moments where I'm just kind of thinking, hang on, is this, is this right? I, 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 yeah. don't, I don't think we're really getting into this story very much. Um, Do you remember the assessment focuses, like AF1, AF2? Yeah. Got the little, we had uh, generic question cards of, little, what's yeah. the main character feeling at the time? Yeah, and you're saying, oh, for goodness sake, I mean, how boring do you want to get? It's just, and sometimes you read a chapter and there is no, I don't know, there is no main character in that bit of the chapter, so it's not even relevant. So, um, yeah, it, it definitely didn't feel effective at all. Had the little uh, things on the, on your uh, lanyard just to have the little questions yeah. there ready to go. Um, <laughs> yeah. You've got the questions there, but because there's five texts to read, and of course... Mm -hmm generally we would have a different book that we're focusing on in our writing as well at that point yeah there's just so many texts flying around you're like wait hang on yeah. it's a different book <laughs> yeah like, mm. uh, and so so I, I remember though even despite all that and looking back on it now i'm thinking why did i do it that way mm. i remember it being suggested to us and thinking whoa hang on i've got a carousel it's set mm -hmm. up it's yeah structured it's organized i know what i'm doing with it there's all the resources done in, in the yeah. bag even though I might not know what's going on in the texts, you know, yeah. I can pick up as I'm going along. But then mm -hmm. when I actually tried it out and I, and it's funny, the, the English lead was my year six partner. And so kind of because she wanted to do it, I was kind of in a position where I had to do it as well because we were kind of sharing mm -hmm. the planning together. And I was yeah. like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. And I fell in love straight away with it. Um, mm -hmm. So much I think so. my main... Oh, sorry, go on. No, no, yeah. I was just going to say so much so like I use the same text now for my English as we do in the mm. guided reading and we build it from yeah. there because why wouldn't you use the same text yeah. build that understanding and that love of the text sorry go ahead no sorry I'm getting so excited about it both of us just want to yeah, I, <laughs> I think well I was going to say something else I'll come back to it what you said as well someone asked me about that the other day and said I whatever class whatever book I'm doing whole class reading will use in English because I don't not not that it's wasting time but I don't want to waste time in an English lesson reading it when we can read it and dissect it in a reading lesson and then use that as inspiration for writing so yeah I do the same with that and then I was just going to say I think my main selling point at the time to my head teacher for it so I was only in my second year of teaching and I was trying to push through this new strategy and I wasn't even on the English lead team at the time so that a little bit presumptuous of me um but was that why would we in year six give children five different texts and some of them are reading pretty much Biff and Chip and then in May we're expecting them all to sit the same sats paper um it just seems pretty crazy to do that um so eventually it sort of started getting drip fed through the school um so yeah and I like what you said about something earlier. So you mentioned how those children that do naturally struggle with reading, so you kind of need dyslexic children, children with those additional needs, they obviously, you know, people would, what people that maybe would argue about this and say, well, we need a carousel to kind of give that specific input to those children in guided reading. You said something very, uh, very s straightforward earlier, which you, you kind of just said, because I think it's part of your practice and that's just what you do. But not a lot of people think about this is that that extra support they need in their reading, they just get outside of the guided reading session. You know, that yeah. extra reading or that that kind of analysis on their, their decoding of the text, 
that can come at another point and to really build that up. But like you say, to gain those comprehension skills, which I think, as you mentioned, a lot of children who can't necessarily read very well, they can still develop the comprehension side of things. That's mm -hmm. where that's the guided reading session. Now, obviously, yeah. what that doesn't mean is that we do a whole class guided reading session for the week, you know, five, four to five times a week. And then we say, right, reading's done. Let's move on. Because there will be those children in the class, particularly when we get to upper key stage two, there'll be less of them. But I think you're right in saying maybe key stage one, there's a more of an argument to say maybe they need to have more of an element of that kind of ability based instruction on reading because they yeah. naturally need to be able to learn to read more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was just something that you said before, which I thought that's how it works. You have that. Yeah, I think that's. Thought. That's usually the main sort of kickback to it I hear is what about your SEN readers or mm. the one thing that people were fighting against when I was trying to put, put it through the beginning of my career was, but your SEN readers. And well, the same that I said to you is that you'd have, you want to have the highest expectations, particularly of SEN children at all times. Um, but also that's when your interventions come into play or pre-teaching or during assembly times or when you're reading as a class having um, a higher ability child sat with them, helping them read it. There's so many ways around it. And I think if that's the only reason people aren't doing it, then there's probably another reason they don't want to. And they're just using that as an excuse. Sorry, that was probably a bit fierce of me. <laughs> um, I just feel like it's not a good enough reason to do it because I've made it work with children who pretty much can't read and it's been successful. So um, I'm sure there are other good arguments against it, but I won't accept that one as a reason. <laughs> and, and this is what I love. And I mentioned to you before about this one and your next primary three as well is that there are discuss this there's some discussion points on both of the ones that, that you're going to talk about and i think mm -hmm. with this one like you say i love i love your clear passion for it and enthusiasm for it and like you say you know if there are people that aren't sure about it i as as someone that wasn't sure about it when i first heard about it that kind of thought whoa hang on what's going to happen with those kids that can't really read very well i've got my mm -hmm. parasol in place and it's very structured i think who who are you to say that my my spelling practice and my, uh, you know, my other things we've got aren't working well. But actually, yeah. have a go with it. And after, you know, a good half term or even half of a half term of trying it, you don't see the benefits of it. Then mm. you can revert back. And with yeah. someone's context, of course, it may be that this is not the way forward. Um, mm. But I think I've certainly heard for myself a lot of positive uh, feedback about whole class guided reading. Uh, is there mm -hmm. any uh, resources that you can share with us or any things you can side post, post people who are interested in it? Um, I mean, I create, I don't follow a scheme. I do um, have a Literacy Shed Plus account with the, the Vipers on that have always been, I don't just pick up and use mm -hmm. myself, but they've been really good in informing me um, of that. And also Emma Stanley on Twitter, she's done a brilliant bank of resources um, that uh, like question style things you could use in whole class reading. And when I plan my most recent unit on Clockwork, which is, oh my goodness, it's such a good book. Have you used Clockwork before? I haven't, I have not. Oh, it's fantastic because it's really short. So I thought it'd be good for this three week unit before Easter. It's fantastic. Um, but I used Emma Stanley's resources to create questions and activities because I didn't just want question, answer, question, question, answer all the time. And the things she's come up with um, were just really interesting as make, makes the children think in a different way. So they would be my main two things. That's and, and actually it's a really good point you make there as well it's not just every lesson right here's the next section of the book here's some questions let's go for the answers that mm. obviously is important that's an important part of it but, yeah. but obviously you've got your drama activities you've got your response activities and all those built in and just and some lessons just reading that text and dissecting some of the vocabulary just kind of being flexible yeah. with it and it makes it yeah. sort of more interesting as well than that kind mm. of 
that carousel. Anyway, <laughs> we could keep going, but um, I know we're over time. So we'll move on to your final of the primary three, which again, yeah. as I mentioned before, is another one which I think some people will completely agree with you. Some people may have some different views on, uh, to you on. And so it'll be interesting mm -hmm. to have this discussion. So it's all around mixed ability maths. Do you want to tell us why that's one of your primary three? Yeah, I could probably talk about this for ages as well, because I've only recently come around to thinking this way. Um, and the school I first worked at for four years set in maths. So um, I was very biased towards that because I love that school and it's a very good school. And I thought it worked for that school. And then I moved to a much smaller school. So um, we teach mixed age because we're so small. So I have mixed year five and six. And obviously we're forced into mixed ability masks. There's no other option. Um, and I kind of went really in a to a quadruple the size of ability range because I went from bottom set or top set year six to suddenly year five and year six from the lowest to the highest ability um and I really really struggled to begin with it was such a learning curve and I thought I was teaching in a mastery style um but I wasn't and my maths lead observed me recently a few times and she gave me some feedback um, and I was really, she probably hated it. So I was really quite resistant to it because I thought what she was asking me to do was almost impossible to keep the whole class together and to extend these this way and to support these this way. And I was just thinking, I just can't do that. And I don't think it will work. And I was probably, like you said in the last chat, one of those people who did carousel reading and didn't want to change it. I was, <laughs> I was one of those people not too long ago. Um, but I started this training with NCETM and um, we have actually been in a lucky position now to be able to change our timetable a little bit so I can teach split years so it's just year five and just year six but even before that I'd started trialing this um and I think it's I've just seen the children really flourish through it a very similar approach to the whole class reading principle I suppose in that you're not putting a ceiling on children so even when I wasn't teaching in this using the mastery principles the fact that I was keep teaching a mixability class and trying to keep it together as much as possible even if I wasn't doing it very well um I just saw when my year fives came to year six, they were so much more able at the beginning of the year than my year sixes were um, when I weren't teaching like that because they'd been exposed to the content in year six and the language and the way the year six is working. And um, yeah, it's just, just very similar principles to whole class reading, I suppose, that you have the highest expectations of all the children and you're not putting a limit on their learning by you're in bottom set. So you can't really learn much higher than this really, which is sort of the, subtle message that you're giving them i feel absolutely um those of you that know me will, will know well will, uh, will know i'm very much uh, a, a big advocate of this whole mixed ability maths um and so uh, and so <laughs> i don't want to kind of put my my bias on this because i will very <laughs> happily extol the virtues of this for an hour <laughs> and i have done in some slt meetings where it wasn't <laughs> such a, a an agreed upon idea uh, mm. and all the research and stuff but um one of the things for me personally that um, showed me I needed to think about this differently. So I I worked in a school and it was a, it wasn't my last school. Uh, it was one I trained in a, a number of years ago. They were a one form entry school, and so naturally I just presumed oh they'll just have the whole class. But actually they streamed the uh, the ability maths from year three to year six. So they literally sent um, kind of the year five children that really struggled down to the year three classroom and vice versa. Hmm. Now, obviously, and again, I love what you said at the start, before I say what I'm going to say, context is important. And yeah. I think that, you know, I was a trainee teacher, so I could have, I, I don't know the complete workings behind everything. I don't know right, why decisions were made. And it may well be that that was a really good decision to make. And it was good for those children. 
But I think that there was, if you're one of those year five children walking down to the year three classroom, I think there starts to become an element of um, resistance or resentment towards maths. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, obviously, what we're talking about isn't that. We're talking about, you know, just streaming a, a year, two year six classes, let's say, for maths. But that, that kind of feeling of, well, I'm in this group begins. And it can start from really early on. But I guess, you know, just to try and, try and play devil's advocate here uh, for the, for the, uh, the purpose of uh, some good discussion on this. One mm-hmm. of the, the big uh, arguments I hear against uh, the setting or, or not setting for maths, you know, the mixed ability maths, is your higher, higher achievers. So if you are teaching to a level where everyone can try and access that, some would argue, well, then your higher ability on not being extended as far. What, what, what would you say uh, to that? Um, I've got a good response to that, actually, because that was something that I posed to my maths lead when I was quite against it. And I've since, she didn't even have to convince me, I've since come round to understanding why I now still believe it's a good thing. So um, as I've said, we split the years now. So I do, I teach two math lessons a day. So there are half size classes. However, in my year six class alone, I have a huge span of ability from someone that's working at, in old money, P levels, um, <laughs> and someone in old money, level six. I just find yeah. it easier to say that. Um, but I gave them a question, how I used to teach, would I do some AFL questions at the beginning, um, fluency. So let's say it's a fraction of an amount. I might say three-fifths of 25, two-sevenths of this, whatever. And if they got all the questions right, I would start them on work independently and just teach those who didn't know it yet. Mm. So I did it the same way to begin with. And then of the like half of the year sixes that got it right, I said, oh, okay, show me how you did that or prove to me that that's correct. And they had no idea. I said, well, how did you do that in your head? Not sure. Can you draw a diagram? Can you show me with these cubes? Could you explain it to someone else? They didn't know. And I thought, obviously, you've got the right answer. And that's great. But previously, I would have focused on the fact that they got the right answer and used that to mean that they understand it and can move on. But now we've spent a lot of the time them exploring their understanding of it, demonstrating it with a bar model, with cubes, with a diagram, with words, with putting it into a um, a different type of problem for a friend and whilst they've been doing that it's given me time to support the lower ability children on understanding the concept um, which then only means that when it comes on well I know you know this but when they when it comes on to another concept where they have to apply what they've learned it just comes more fluently to them because I've made them prove it um, so that would be my comeback to that is that you might think that they're higher, higher ability because they know the answer, but do they know how they got there and why it is that? And how, could they show it in different ways? Because if not, then their understanding isn't as good as you think it is. Absolutely. This, this is one of the things I think is so important is helping children to understand how they know that answer. And I love mm. now, whenever I teach a class, I've just started a new, a new year six class, but already after two weeks, they know now that I will not accept just the right answer. I'll yeah. always be like, and <laughs> do you want yeah. to tell us how you got there? Yeah. And very quickly, that and that's such an important part of it. And I think that yeah. you're right. That that's one way we can do that. You know, it's proving it, proving it with a diagram, proving it with this. You know, there there is always the opportunity. I think to, to build in further, more challenging questions at the end. But I think you know, you are again it's similar to how we have the whole class guided reading thing, where you've got different ways of extending those children each day. With the maths, mm-hmm. it's, it's building that way of, right, well, today, here is some more extra challenging questions, which I want you to have a little yeah. go with, uh, because you've demonstrated and explained and proven what you've talked about today really, really well. But then some mm-hmm. days it's a case of, right, could you now create three questions based on this one 
to see yeah. to show me that you understand the workings behind this because actually yeah. i don't know about you as a teacher one of the hardest thing is coming up with questions that work yeah uh, which... it's a really good tip actually you say there because that's something that my math league recently taught me was i said oh i want to keep them all together but how do i keep my higher ability challenge because they've done it already she said just say to them think of another question that has the same answer as this one but you're not allowed to use the same numbers in it um and it's kept them really busy doing something like that um and i have i don't know about you but i have sort of found that the more able children in general almost have a worse attitude towards that than the lower ability because they're not used to being told they have to explain it and show it and they think maths is just all numbers and that if they get it right that's the most important thing so when i've said to them actually the answer isn't the most important thing at the moment it's how you get there and show to me that then initially they were kind of annoyed by that and had a poor attitude towards that way of looking at maths whereas most of the other children um were happy with that because it meant they got to go a bit slower through things and understand it a little better um i do think just from a personal point of view the cancellation of sats this year has massively helped because previously i was so focused on just getting the right answer and if if they were doing it procedurally with no understanding and it was keep flip change the second fraction when you divide it but they got the right answer then i didn't care because it just meant their sats are going to be good but having no sats has taken that pressure off and it just made me realize how important it is that it's not just um procedural i was actually going to say great minds i was going to say the same thing in terms of when you're multiplying a pair of fractions. So I was probably one of those kids when I was younger who procedurally got it down. I know this method, yeah. can do it. But if you were to ask me, what does a half times three quarters actually mean? I'd look yeah. at you and go, oh, well, I know it's three eighths. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it is. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, and I was actually showing this similar, I was um, working not with the NCTM, but I was working with a maths hub, which is obviously based very much on what the NCTM NCETM does. I can never say either. <laughs> <It's a mouthful. laughs> I'm, a, I'm a PD lead for them, but I can't. I still can't say. <laughs> um, like what they do, you know, is so important in opening your eyes to that uh, and realizing that actually, yeah, it is that fluency. Because when you get those three mark questions in the SATs and children mm. absolutely freeze, it's because mm. procedurally they know, okay, if I've got this and this phrase here, great. But then when they're given a completely new and unseen before question, yeah. they don't have that and they, they really struggle with it. Mm. So uh, that's fantastic. Well, again, uh, we're going to have to stop there. <laughs> we could keep that's all right. That. Uh, I but, know, I could talk about it for ages, but yeah. yeah. But that's fantastic. And again, as you said from the start, and a really important caveat to this, it is about context. And it may mm. well be that in certain settings with certain staff that are trained in certain ways, you know, setting is the right thing. So this is not to say yeah. that it is the silver bullet in primary education for maths or do mixability um, teaching. But I love how you share your, your passion behind it and why you think yeah. it's such an important thing. Well, I have to do a disclaimer as well for my last one then because I feel like I was quite fierce about whole class reading. But I do totally agree with you because one thing I do feel strongly about is that you should do what's right for your own context. And so even though I feel passionate about it, I think we should allow opinions from all sides. If that's what's best for you, then you're the teacher of that class. You go for it. But um, yeah, I just I just feel strongly about it in, in most cases. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and you're t perfectly right too because you have used it and you've seen the impacts of it. And so that's great and this is why oh, I, I love doing this podcast i've started to do this podcast is because as we get into these interviews there may well be some things that some people listen to and think mm, i don't really agree with that approach well 
don't yeah. don't not stop listening just listen to yeah. someone else's point of view and actually mm. it may strengthen your point of view i was listening to a great ted uh, talk actually just before we not just before because i was a bit i uh, actually had a nap which is unusual <laughs> for me. Uh, but before i fell asleep i was listening to a ted talk uh, and they were talking about you know how conversation is about two sides talking together and coming away stronger because of that discussion not yeah. trying to get your point across and saying that you are right yeah. Uh, and so I really appreciate that. That's fantastic. Okay, our time is very short. So let's go to the last couple of questions uh, that we have. The first one, which has always tended to be the most difficult one. Who would you mm. recommend for a future interview on this podcast? Um, I'm glad you gave that to me in advance because I had a long list of people, but I've mar- managed to mar- narrow it down to one even. Um, I'd really like to hear more from Jazz Newton, Miss Newton 91. Um, I don't know her very well, but I've chatted to her a few times and she, bless her heart, was extremely helpful when I was looking at how to... Um, explore the diversity in our curriculum basically a bit more and um, she is very knowledgeable on that and she was doing a lot of the work for me for complete for completely free um but she knows a lot and she's quite a small tweeter and i think she's got some brilliant ideas to share and i'd just be interested to hear a bit more from her really so that would be my recommendation excellent i love that view on curriculum because i think that uh, that again with primary education there are so many avenues you know we've had quite a few head teachers on now we've had a computing focus we've had a really mm. nice mix of re- english and maths from you which ironically goes back to your favorite subjects in english and yes, maths. True. so it's yeah. all kind of, kind of flowed quite nicely there um mm. but uh yes some a view on curriculum would be really really good that's great thank mm. you Okay, and the final question, which just to round things off and and, finish, and put a full stop at the end of this, is what is the best thing for you about being in primary education? I think I'm going to be pretty cliche here and just say the kids. Yeah. Um, I think whatever kind of things are going on emotionally in my head for me as soon as I'm standing in front of the children, the fact that you have to sort of put a face on really um, – for the kids they just make you feel so much better and when when you're in a room on your own with the kids and you're just having a laugh and as long as it's a good day with them (laughs) um (laughs) i think that's particularly why i like upper kids too as well as just the banter and once you've created a good relationship with them it's just feels like being in with a group of friends um and it's just a lot of fun and i think no matter how tired i am um i just think we're gonna have fun today because they love learning and if you create a good environment together it's just it just doesn't feel like work the only bit that feels like work is the the marking and the planning either side of the actual job um so yeah definitely the children brilliant well thank you for that and yeah i couldn't agree more you know the kids are the lifeblood of what we do and it's why we do it and so thanks for that well thank you sophie first of all for your valuable time you know teachers are very busy and so i'm very grateful for you to to, to spend this time with us today but thank you as well for just kind of the the thoughts the approaches the pedagogical um kind of aspects of things you talked about because i think it's given us quite a lot to think about and even if someone is doing all the things already that maybe you've talked about it's just great to just kind of sit and reflect on our practice and so thank you so much for joining us well you're very welcome thank you very much for having me Thanks. Uh, thanks once again for listening, everyone, uh, to Primary Education Voices, and uh, well, I'll talk to you soon. Well, there you have it. It's the end of another wonderful natter uh, on this podcast. I'm really enjoying doing this. This is the sixth uh, interview that I've recorded now. Uh, and every time I'm just in awe with the number of wonderful colleagues we have out in the Twitter sphere and beyond in primary education and just people who are willing to sit down for an hour or so and have a, a chat 
uh, about you know what we do each and every day. Sophie and I actually talked for, for about an hour and a half. We only recorded obviously about 45 minutes uh, for the podcast. There's just so many things that we thought was really interesting about what we do uh, in the role of primary education that we that we have. Uh, and I just loved the, the conversations we had. It was interesting because this is probably the first person I've spoken to uh, who, when they were younger, you know, played being a teacher. So obviously it's been quite an interesting uh, look at different primary colleagues and seeing how they got into this role. Sophie obviously didn't have that necessarily a passion for it. It was quite clear when she was younger that she had an interest in it. But it was really when she was first in front of that class that she got a sense that um, primary education was the role for her and hasn't really looked back since. Um, her, her, Her funny story, I think we can all relate to. I'm sure there have been a number of times where we've been using uh, the uh, the internet uh, and be asking children to research that maybe one or two things have cropped up that shouldn't have in their research. I mean, that was pretty uh, impressive, the story that she shared. Uh, and I was amazed, actually, at the, the, at the way that she was able to contact those parents in terms of, you know, what they had um, found out in school. And so that'll be an experience that she will, I'm sure, uh, be using uh, in her future career as well. But then her primary three, I mean, I could have talked about those primary three for ages uh, and we pretty much did talk about them for over half an hour. The writing revolution, which I have heard of before, but I'll be honest, I haven't looked very much too much into. I'm not, I do like reading some education books. I don't really buy many for myself. It's usually Christmas and birthday presents. I get, uh, you know, two or two or so each time round. Um, but this, I think writing revolution is one I'm going to have to definitely invest into, uh, even if it's for that first part of it. Um, Sophie talked about the ways that it can be implemented into our current planning and and stimuli and resources that we have already, but just to really enhance and boost the work around structuring sentences, understanding how sentences work and building those up to paragraphs. Just a really good additional resource to use that can really add more to your your repertoire of teaching uh, resources. And then, of course, we had two big discussions about whole class guided reading um, and about mixability maths. Now, I will be very open here. Uh, it probably came through. I'm sure it did on the on the chat that I am very much for these approaches pedagogically myself. I, I love whole class guided reading. And even though I was a bit of I had to be a bit of a convert to it to begin with. Uh, I do think that it is certainly for me uh, the way I love to teach reading in my class. Of course, I am very much based in Upper Key Stage 2. I have taught Year 3 and Year 1 before, and I can see how in Year 1 there'd be a lot more difficulty uh, doing something like whole class guided reading. Um, But in Year 3, it was something that I thought I really enjoyed and seemed to work quite well, with, of course, the additional input and uh, support for those children that do struggle to decode reading. Uh, it was really good for their comprehension skills. And so we had a great discussion around that and some resources were shared. And of course, mixability maths. Uh, I am so looking forward to having more talks about maths. Obviously, I'm going to try and keep this broad and open with primary education voices. It's not just going to be a maths podcast, but you'll pretty much find out whenever someone brings in a primary three that's about maths, I'm going to be there with that um, because uh, it's it's really my role, uh, one of the roles I have in my school right now. Um, but it's interesting that, that we had this discussion about mixability maths because I know some great educators out there that actually do think that setting is the way forward. And I think that it's important that, first of all, we don't identify any or either of these as the way to do it, because, of course, the context is important with the, with the children that are in front of you in your school. They'll be very different to the children that I have in my school. Uh, but also, I think it comes down to staff confidence as well. I think if you've got staff that are used to and teach very well uh, by setting children in maths, then perhaps that is the way forward. Um, But if you have a a group of staff that are well trained in 
teaching with mixed ability, then of course that's the way forward. Uh, and I think it's important to be open and have those discussions. And so uh, I hope that if you are listening and you do agree about the stance on whole class guided reading and mixed ability maths, that you've enjoyed that and it's added to your thoughts. If you don't think those are the way forward, I hope that um, that's added a bit more um, of understanding to where people are coming from who have these views. And actually, as I mentioned in the podcast, it may well be that these discussions help inform your stance on setting uh, in, in maths or using carousels in guided reading. Uh, it may well in, inform your position on those even better to listen to other people. And as we go forward in primary education voices, I am certain there'll be other things that are brought up, which perhaps you may not agree or do agree with. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see uh, and add more of our understanding from un- other inspirational colleagues who, of course, all of us are doing the very best that we can for the children that we have in front of us. All that's left for me to say is that if there is a primary colleague on the Twitter, Twitter sphere that you'd love to hear more from, you can either contact me on Twitter through at Prime Edu Voices, that's P-R-I-M-E-D-U Voices, or me directly at mroberts90mat. And let me know what inspiring primary teacher, TA or support staff you'd love to hear featured on the episode. And I do, I would love to hear from a TA or, or, or support staff. So specifically if, uh, in those areas, you know, of a member of staff on Twitter or even who is maybe not on Twitter, who'd be interested to have a chat, then do let me know and get in contact. Please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your fellow primary practitioners. Even better, please, if you could leave a review on your podcasting platform, that'll really help get the word out and raise the primary education voice. Thank you for joining me to hear another primary education voice and see you again next time when we meet for another inspirational educator.